Hello guys, welcome to the episode 19th of our podcast, The Vesava Show. I'm your host Suchita and today we have with us Jasmine Kala. Uh, Jasmine Kala works at the Center for Mental Health Law and Policy, Indian Law Society, Pune. And her work focuses on implementation, research in mental health and human rights and health system in community-based settings. And she's trained in social work and sociology. Hi, Jasmine. Welcome to the SOS show. And thank you for joining us from Pune. Thank you so much, Sujita. Thank you for having me. Oh my God. Like, this sounds like a completely different field, Jasmine. I'm very curious to know that why did you choose mental health as a career? Well, I think it the journey sort of began much earlier on and I have to say there's no linear path to this and it all sort of happened by chance. I started my journey with exploring the idea of psychology and kind of understanding what human behavior is all about. Um, and then soon enough realized that I do like a more systems oriented perspective. And, um, and that I did have some issues with this whole human-centered discipline and therefore decided to think of a more broader social structural um, approach to looking at mental health, um, which is when um, this master's happened in social work and, I, and then I explored the field a little more. And one of the things with mental health is that the more you know, the more confused you are about what to make of it and what, how do you tackle all these issues that are coming your way. Absolutely. Um, being, being such a challenging field, Jasmine, uh, what's your, what's your uh, I'm just getting a bit into the career, a bit, of, uh, a bit of mental health, because I think there is a severe lack of professionals and understanding in the mental health space. What has been your biggest challenge so far as a professional? I think um, while we all understand that we have physical health and mental health, there's, uh, there's a bit of lack of articulation around what is this mental health and, and what we can do to help uh, improve our own mental health, forget anyone else's. Hmm. Um, so I think the, the challenges around this whole invisibilization of any sort of language of uh, distress or not keeping well, or even the fact that what you do to keep well. So I think there's this whole gap that exists between uh, just a kind of avoidance of even touching upon this topic because it seems like it's too complicated, it's too uh, dense, it's too um, it's something that you can't kind of get your head around. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the truth of it is that all of us in our day-to-day lives are interacting with this thing called mental health um, in our own way and and the way that we're coping with things that are coming to us and the way we're grappling with this issue is all a part of this whole mental health narrative, which we don't consider as mental health. Mm. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, yesterday, as we were chatting, uh, we had this uh, discussion on your work in uh, various aspects and fields in mental health at the moment, uh, Atmeta, also the peer support. Uh, How would you define your work at this stage of your career? So broadly, I think what we're trying to do is saying that we do know that there is some research evidence that exists out there. We know that um, there are things that you can do to improve people's mental well-being. Um, But we also know that the focus of, you know, if you look at the pyramid of care, um, the baseline of it is around self-care and informal care. 
However, the focus of most state policies and the approach of mental health care has been towards providing these specialized mental health care services, which we know from experience is not the only answer to talk about mental health. Hmm. So we wanted to kind of work in this space where we could find something to fill in this whole ecosystem of what mental health care should look like. And we wanted to plug in these gaps that exist across these different elements of self-care, informal care, specialized care. And all of this is being done through the lens of how do you implement human rights in practice? And how do you make something this ideal and principles of human rights and more tangible in our everyday practice? Mm-hmm. Making human rights more tangible in everyday practices. And uh, uh, when uh, we, we, we were having this conversation in terms of the peer support intervention um, in the treatment gap, would you like to uh, elaborate on that? Yes. Um, so, well, I guess let me start by probably talking about what is this treatment gap. Um, primarily just to say that people who need services don't mm. often receive the services. And mm. in our country, it's almost from 72% to 90%, which mm. means that around 7 out of 10 people do not get access to the care that they need. Mm. Um, but we've also found that this treatment gap has been translated into this very biomedical understanding of what is mental health care, Mm -hmm. uh, where we are looking at it from the lens of thinking of specialized services, uh, more clinical sort of oriented approaches. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you look at your own lives and if you think of when you've been through a distressing episode, things that helped you get better were probably even outside of the health sector. So, you know, it was around what sort of social social care were you receiving? What sort of support did you get? And that is where I think this notion of treatment gap needs to be questioned a little more. Mm-hmm. And there's been some articulation about thinking of it as actually the mental health care gap, which means that we're often ignoring a lot of psychosocial interventions that have been proven to be effective and yet are not being implemented as well. Um, and often we also forget this link with physical health care needs too. So I think we just need like a broader definition of what is this treatment care gap and mm-hmm. where is really the gap. Absolutely. And uh, as you mentioned about psychosocial intervention, which has proven to be effective, uh, that is where the peer support intervention comes? Yes. So broadly, what our approach with the peer support intervention kind of stems from this, um, how I joined the center and how I started working in this field was uh, by implementing the quality rights intervention. It is a framework that has been developed by the World Health Organization at Geneva. Mm-hmm. And it was um, it was supposed to be a global response to poor quality of mental health care services that exist. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the fact is that in in a country like ours, there's either care that is not available or care that is just not affordable yes. or care that is not acceptable by people who are seeking these services. Yes. And often we find that, you know, because there are no standard protocols, there's also a lack of quality of mental health care that's being provided. Mm-hmm. So the Quality Rights Initiative was to kind of target this issue of not having 
quality services which have an impact on human rights violations. And to kind of break through this cycle to say that let's reorient our services towards a human rights and a recovery perspective. Mm-hmm. And what in simple language that really means is recognizing that people have rights that they, you know, just like you and I do, and make decisions about our life. And that needs to be respected. And that needs to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that line of thought, there's also been some debates and discussion around what is really recovery. And yes. mm-hmm. the the very traditional notions of recovery focus on whether you have symptoms and whether the symptoms have reduced and and that means that you've been cured, quote-unquote. Mm. Um, whereas, I mean, if you have a conversation with anyone around recovery, we all know that it's sim- symptomatic reduction is only one part of the story. It's mm. around how you kind of get back to your life the way you wish to lead it. So, mm. so there were some conversations around what that means in our context. And yes. um, through that quality rights intervention, we did a lot of capacity building work around what is human rights and mental health care, what is recovery in our context. Mm. And while these principles and ideals were great, we thought that if we don't concretize it as an example of what is really recovery, then the idea was somewhere getting, kind of getting lost. Absolutely. And I was also having this conversation with Kostub, uh, the podcast that you also uh, Mm -hmm. heard. Uh, It is not just the medical, but uh, recovery also uh, massively includes the psychological recovery of the uh, of the patient uh, as Mm -hmm. well. And social, right? So the fact that, I mean, just simple things like I think there's so many disempowering messages that we give to Mm -hmm. people with psychosocial disabilities is to Mm -hmm. say, you probably can't study anymore, you can't hold a job anymore. So I think it's really like a way to kind of break through that cycle of negativity and you know, disempowering mm-hmm. messages that were being given. Mm-hmm. So while we were doing that intervention, we um, introduced the concept of peer support. And this was, I mean, just for context that we did this intervention across six public mental health facilities. Mm-hmm. And that did some mental health services for so specialized mental health care services, but also district level hospitals and um, and medical colleges where there was a psychiatric inpatient and outpatient facilities. So we had mm-hmm. six of these hospitals. This was based in Gujarat. Yes. And um, the whole idea was that why don't we, you know, kind of introduce the idea that people with lived experience can assist other people who are going through their recovery journey with mm-hmm. the use of, you know, thinking through these recovery tools that can be used and peer support groups that can be introduced. Mm-hmm. So through the intervention, which was approximately from 2015 to 16, we only had a year to do this, but we made huge strides in that intervention in the sense that each of these facilities got about The larger facilities had about 10 such peer support volunteers is what they were called. Mm -hmm. It's health systems and to call them workers would have kind of different implications. Mm. And the idea was that we had about 27 such people across these six different sites in the state of Gujarat. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the first time, I think in a health system space, Mm -hmm. we gave you know it was like a space where people with lived experience had voice they had agency they they could kind of have independent conversations with people who are going through their 
process of either being diagnosed or dealing with it and then mm. think of what that recovery could mean for them mm-hmm. absolutely and jasmin would you like to elaborate a bit on what kind of uh, mental health issues did these did these uh, 27 volunteers go through Yes so broadly we were looking at people who had severe mental illness because we also know that the the maximum gap even in terms of employment happens for people who do have severe mental illness so mm. most of them had some experience with schizophrenia or bipolar yes. or any other or other forms of severe mental illness mm. and um, and actually we we saw huge shift and change in you know the from the time we started which was a rather ch- challenging time because most of these services wouldn't think of people with lived experience as being capable enough to perform such a role that means mm-hmm. independently having conversations with people thinking through recovery holding mm-hmm. support groups there was some sort of like dissonance with some of the facilities not feeling confident about it whereas some of the facilities were extremely supportive and went out of their way to kind of ensure that people could feel accommodated hmm. i'd like to probably focus on a few of these stories uh, yes. one of them being um there's a woman called janki patel who is in hmm. uh, baroda and she has you know spoken about her recovery journey and we've you know made sure that we've uh, ensured their representation at each of these conferences that we've attended mm-hmm. um, and she was even there for the mental health care summit and kind of make sure that her voice gets heard within these global and, and national scenarios mm-hmm. and i mean got a long story short i think the most of the journeys have been about not feeling empowered enough to feel like you can control your own life mm-hmm. to then feeling you have enough resources you have the confidence you have the support to then move ahead and do something that you wish to do mm-hmm. so a few of our peer support volunteers who'd never worked in a formal employment space yes um, actually started their own little ventures lovely mm. yes yeah, so while the families could see that there was a process of recovery that they were improving in in just how they were feeling about themselves um mm. some of them i think moved to a formal employment space some of mm. them moved to you know doing their own little ventures there is one person so janki for instance had you know moved from working in the hospital to moving to an organization that also works for people with psychosocial disabilities mm-hmm. so it's been like an interesting journey to see how people have grown there's one particular peer support volunteer who started a facebook page and you know runs puts up frequent posts about how their meetings are going what people are sharing and that's been really fascinating to see i'm just going to um uh, button here knowing slightly more about janki patel identifying these volunteers sure. uh to come forward and be part of the peer support group in an ecosystem that stigmatizes mental health how challenging is that oh uh very challenging <laughs> i think everything <laughs> depends on um i can speak from experience of implementing it across six sites where we had more success was the places where we had a lot of organizational support so you know where the head of the facility or the staff members of the hospital were open to such an intervention where we felt like the peer support volunteers felt more 
in control of what they were doing and had a clearer idea of what their role was. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, the opposite spectrum is where anyway, we do recognize that mental health is a low resource setting, that there are yes. challenges for even day to day, you know, the mm-hmm. running of the hospitals. Mm-hmm. So somewhere, I think there were some sites where we had challenges around defining that role of what this peer support volunteer could do. Mm-hmm. That led to some confusion and there was some dispersing of roles where they were asked to do things that were actually not recovery oriented work. So, you know, that was one challenge, which is like the organizational challenge. Mm-hmm. The other challenge, I think, which we perhaps also didn't kind of address through our intervention was you know, giving more structural and systemic sort of an approach to what is peer support in a mental health system context. Mm. Mm. Because as we know, if you don't kind of protocolize it, if you don't systematize it, then Mm. you run the risk of starting a great intervention, but that fizzing out very soon. Yes. So that, I, I suppose, was another challenge where there was a lack of clarity of what is your role within this whole ecosystem of health system and where do you fit in because you're not a formal employee, um, yes. but also kind of part of the hospital. So how should a person with lived experience look at you and what sort of support should they seek from you? Hmm. So I suppose that was... Um, that was another challenge and uh, then primarily being that because everyone is so stretched at these mental health facilities the the fact that you can't provide enough mentorship and support as like an ongoing process was another huge challenge that we had mm-hmm. where you know it kind of links to not having a defined role but also not having an adequate supervision and support mm-hmm. because you know if you are in your own process of recovery you can feel there can be times when you're not feeling well enough, but there can also be times when when you're just probably seeking support to just check in on who they're speaking to and how that is impacting them. So, you know, like mm-hmm. every day we just have check-ins with somebody that we work with. And if that doesn't happen, then obviously you feel even more isolated within this space. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, that, that was probably like three big challenges that we had. Mm-hmm. And um, Jasmine, in terms of uh, the receptivity of people uh, who are uh, facing mental health issues, what is the receptivity in terms of a peer support? So maybe um, it's also got to do with like how do they look at their own selves. And I think mm-hmm. that's been a, a huge process of learning. So mm-hmm. when um, the first time that the peer support volunteers did join in, we had a huge discussion around you know, why do they think they're here and and then yeah. kind of give them the tools of thinking about rights, what are your own rights and mm. and then what do we understand by recovery, which is a different mm. kind of conception that than a very biomedical model that follows. Mm. So so we in the initial process I know that there was some confusion around like why me and why should I be involved. But I think slowly when they started having conversations with people, they understood that, you know, they are at a certain place, that they've been through some of these experiences that people are sharing. So therefore, they felt that they could support and help. And that, I guess, gave them confidence to think through what other innovations they could do. So I know, for example, Janki herself started yoga classes within, you know, because that was something that she was trained in and she thought maybe one way to contribute to the system was 
organize these classes that she could do with people who are living at the facility. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that kind of also then changed the perception of how the staff was also looking at peer support and mm-hmm. kind of started seeing how they were part of a collaborative process rather than being people who are just, you know, entering the system to point out flaws. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a process of change to say, we're all part of the same ecosystem and peer support is not really here to compete with anyone, but yes. rather actually support each other and grow together. And mm. ultimately, the whole goal is that people who are seeking services there do improve and, and feel like they have more control over their own lives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think uh, the peer support intervention, um, as we as we talk, has like a huge future in terms of, you know, how do you see it heading? Because right now you are just working in the space of Ahmedabad, Gujarat area, as you had mentioned with 27 volunteers. How do you guys intend to spread to other states, cities? Right. So the 27 volunteers was till about 2016, which is when Mm. we ended the quality rights intervention. And we kind of, I think, through the process had built enough ownership of the intervention and had built enough sustainable measures to make sure that the intervention continued, at least at these six hospitals. So I think the good news is that even till date, those hospitals still have people um, who have peer support volunteers. Mm -hmm. The other, I think, huge achievement that happened because of quality rights was the fact that we started off by funding the peer support volunteers through the project funds, but that Mm -hmm. was uh, eventually taken up by the Department of Health and Family Welfare. So the state now financially supports this intervention awesome. so, that is- so 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 just just butting here the state supporting the intervention how does it help the volunteers uh, you know does if somebody wants to volunteer be part of the peer support group do they get some financial support some kind of support doing that as well so they get support financial support in the sense if you are a peer support volunteer for the mm-hmm. peer support groups that mm-hmm. is more of an informal setting where you can come and attend meetings and the meeting might be led by a peer support volunteer. Mm-hmm. It's it's the, the financial implications are more for people who have been officially a part of the hospital's peer support volunteer intervention. Mm-hmm. That's how it kind of plays out. Mm-hmm. In terms of what we see and how we see it growing is... Um, Like I mentioned, I think there were many challenges that happened throughout the intervention and Mm -hmm. post-intervention. And one of the ways in which we're tackling that is that we've started um, a new intervention called, it's called Upsides. It's using peer support for developing empowering mental health services. Mm -hmm. It's, um, It's a European Union consortium that has about six implementing sites, which Mm -hmm. is a mixture of high-income, middle-income, and low-income countries. Mm -hmm. Each of these sites is at a different level of peer support intervention. Mm -hmm. And we're at a phase where, through the project, we want to understand how do we actually concretize and develop more structural systems around peer support in the Indian context. Mm -hmm. And then think of, so we're going to evaluate this through the next few years and Mm -hmm. have a ready model that we hope that can be adopted by different states within the state Mm 
So I think the scope of it is huge. Hmm. And, and our aim is to kind of then develop enough systemic support to think through what this peer support could look like because it has hmm. varied forms and varied versions of it. But I guess we're focusing on what this could look like in a mental health systems setting. And once you know it's effective, then you can adapt the version in various settings. One of the ways could be how do you use them in a community context, for example. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the kind of vision and aim that we're going with. Mm-hmm. In a com- community context, for example, using it in the context of Atmeyata? Right. So while we were doing the quality rights intervention, we of course, um, were very aware of the fact that there was a lack of community mental health services that existed. Um, mm. Because like I said, I think the focus has been on tertiary specialized services. There is a, a huge gap that exists with, you know, just like, I mean, think of it just day to day, who do you reach out for help and what sort of conversation should you have if someone is reaching out to you? So we really wanted to address this gap that happens within the community space. And which is why I think Atmeta is is a very like sort of local solution for a local context mm-hmm. where you're empowering the communities to kind of take into account their mental health care and social care needs. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, Atmeta is another form of peer support, which works mm-hmm. in its own context and its own setting. Mm-hmm. Um, just to give example, I think um, most of our volunteers, which is about like 500 or 600 people at this moment across mm-hmm. 100 villages in Mehsana, mm-hmm. um, a lot of them have come up and told us that we've actually experienced a lot of these distressing factors and therefore we feel that we should now support other people who are going through these distressing episodes. So mm-hmm. it's you know, so that is also a form of peer support that you have some lived experience and and you can kind of talk from your experience and your learnings and and think of like, you know, supporting someone else who's going through that process. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Jasmine, tell me, I'm coming back to Janki Patel here. Uh, yeah. Would you like to... Um, <sighs> You know, a success story where Janki worked with a specific person dealing with a specific form of mental illness and that really sort of brought the person out of uh, whatever the person was going through. Mm-hmm. I think the I'll probably start with just Janki's story herself. Okay. Um, she's a woman who's about in her 40s and she's been going through, um, she'd been diagnosed with schizophrenia Oh my uh, God! Huh? And while she was in probably her twenties, mm. and it's about her experience of saying that um, she was probably she didn't do well in her studies and then had to drop mm. out while she was probably in her eleventh standard. Someone who then did not continue to study further. Is she from a village, from a city, Ahmedabad? I mean, I just want to see Janki. So Janki lives in Vadodara. She is mm-hmm. seeking services from mm-hmm. uh, the mental health hospital at Vadodara. Mm-hmm. And um, she'd been seeking services for quite some time. She started off by interacting with a lot of private healthcare while when she was diagnosed mm-hmm. and really had a few negative experiences because of which she was also a little hesitant with what these services would look like. 
Mm-hmm. And broadly, in her own personal day-to-day space, she was um, kind of disengaged. She felt like she wasn't contributing to anything. She would sleep at odd hours. The medication was having its own side effects. Mm-hmm. Um, she was generally feeling like she wasn't probably contributing to anything around hers, whether it be mm-hmm. her personal space, her workspace. While she was seeking services at this mental health facility, she was introduced to the quality rights intervention and some of the staff members and the researchers from one of our teams was uh, introduced her to the idea of peer support volunteer and then she got interested in it. Mm-hmm. And ever since she was involved in the project, she felt like there was a huge change in you know, how her life was being lived. So now she felt mm-hmm. as someone who was being listened to, she was being heard, uh, her opinions were being respected. She could mm-hmm. have conversations with people where people were responding back to her. And mm-hmm. the whole stigma around being called a quote unquote like mad person. And now she was mm-hmm. like someone who was, you know, in control of her life and mm-hmm. also supporting other people in that process. Brilliant. Brilliant. Jasmine, this is a brilliant, brilliant example, you know, of how a person from uh, suffering from mental illness goes out there to support, to help and itself handles her own or his own life. Just pushing this a bit further because they themselves are going through a mental illness. Is she sort of stable? Is she on medication? How does she keep herself sane? And how does, you know, people around her, you know, who, you know, who are working with her as a volunteer support her? I mean, does she also need support in some way? Yes, for sure. I think anyone who works with people with lived experience can go through mm-hmm. a episode because you're hearing stories of trauma and mm-hmm. you know, you're, you are interacting with that on a day-to-day basis. And if you have yes. no prior training per se, it can be even harder to do. So I think for, for Janki particularly, I would say that she firmly believed that you know yoga was was her way of coping so mm. not only that she did it but she also shared the skills with other people but broadly if i were to look at you know what what peer support volunteers did to keep well one mm. of the strong interventions that their mentors and their supervisors would do is think of their own recovery plan before they even interacted with someone else so to think about what are things that keep you well, what are things that can probably, you know, make you feel upset, how do you kind of check for things that are going wrong um, in a sense where you feel that you're not feeling well enough, and how do you kind of reach out to people who can probably support you in that context. So typically, if they have a mentor and if they're not feeling well enough, they would reach out to them and say they either needed a break or they needed to probably speak to someone. So it could be the mentor themselves. It could be the clinician that they reached out to. We have had people who've had um, readmissions because of just how their illness was progressing. So, you know, while like this was a role, a volunteer role that they had to perform, there was some sort of flexibility around it. And we did recognize that people have varied needs at different points in time. So there were accommodations were made as per the requirement. So when people needed some time off because they were not feeling well enough, that was permissible. And they could come back and then, you know, rejoin the process. At the same time, I do have to emphasize in the very first step of filling a recovery plan for yourself was was a crucial element because you had to think through process of a lot of self-reflection 
before you reached out to someone else and made them think of their own process. So I think those were some of the things that we were wary of. Broadly, they used to work about four hours a day. It was a slightly flexible process where you could do, you know, maybe any time in the morning for four hours. So they reimbursed for all the expenses that they have to do to reach the hospital or any other sort of expenses that come along the way. Mm-hmm. And and just to kind of be aware that people's mental health care needs are important. And, and I think that was something that we tried to extend, not just to the peer support volunteer, but also staff members too, to mm-hmm. say all of us probably need some accommodations that we need for just having a present workspace while protecting our well-being too. Absolutely, while protecting our well-being too. Uh, Jasmine, you were you living there for a while in Ahmedabad as I was sort of reading through things and being there, trying to observe, trying to research? I wasn't there personally. I had a We had a team of researchers who were based at these facilities um, full time. So the project mm-hmm. was for about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. But two years, our research team was always there. I was part of doing um, an interesting activity called the Quality Rights Assessment. where it's a very interesting tool to break down some of the concepts that are listed in the UNCRPD. And Mm -hmm. the UNCRPD is the United Nations Conventions on the Rights of Persons with Disability. Mm -hmm. And that sort of lays out a a human rights framework to looking at what really rights mean for people with disabilities, which includes people with psychosocial disabilities. Mm-hmm. So the toolkit which has been developed by the WHO breaks down some of these principles to, you know, how do you actually assess it in practice mm-hmm. in a facility. Mm-hmm. So we did a whole round of um, first actually doing a baseline assessment of what actually happens in these facilities. Mm-hmm. And it includes all the good things that they're doing and all the gaps that exist. And we would go back and share the results with the staff, with people who are seeking services, with family members. And then we asked them to pick out 10 priority areas that they wanted to improve at their own facility. And that kind of started a process of change where we did some capacity building exercises around recovery, human rights, alternatives to seclusion restraint. And, you know, also just how do you build more effective communication techniques with while you're interacting with people. Mm-hmm. And then it was followed by the, the facilities themselves leading the process of change at their sites. So it was a lot of, um, you know, ways in which we thought about making people own the intervention and participate in this whole intervention, thinking that it's their own process of change. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we evaluated this and, you know, there's been uh, a difference in how people um, feel. Like, for example, people with lived experience reported that they felt more empowered, that they, they were recovering better, that they were more mm-hmm. satisfied with services. The mm-hmm. staff had a attitudinal shift that they reported where coercion or coercive practices were seen as human rights violations. And that, you know, there was a reduction in looking at them with fear and avoidance rather than, Mm. and so, you know, there was a clear shift in even how mental health care professionals were looking at people with psychosocial disabilities. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
uh jasmine you travel a lot the last time we spoke you were in geneva attending a convention who how does the world view mental health at this moment and uh what do you think what direction is it going in well uh yes why so attending one of the it was one of my first who mental health forum meetings mm-hmm. um that I was clubbed with another meeting that i had to attend but mm-hmm. broadly i think um there has been probably a shift in conversation around looking at um human rights and there is more recognition of the fact that probably mental health care services or just how we're conceptualizing mental health care is not doing enough for people who are actually recipients of this you know care model mm-hmm. um so there was a interesting session where three people with their own lived experience shared um their experiences with treatment and which included you know a range of um issues which i guess is common and resonant with even what uh, people here have to say is around coercive practices not being heard um not consenting to treatment i think those were some of the common examples and and how when they've moved into a space where they are actually part of the implementation of a certain intervention there's been a huge process of change of feeling like you know being experts of experience is also a very valid standpoint to have so there were some interesting sessions around that however i think that broadly we still have some some way to go to change um, a lot of biomedical thinking um mm-hmm. to converting it into human rights and and recovery mm-hmm. at the same time i guess like of course all of the different elements are required mm-hmm. um i think interestingly at this meeting there were lots of people who were attending the meeting for the very first time so which means probably the space is opening up um but that's just probably me being optimistic but i guess there's hope to to see the change and change the narrative of looking at it from a very clinical perspective to looking at it more socially and psychosocially Mm. Is, absolutely know, yeah absolutely changing it uh, uh, from clinical to psychosocial perspective jasmine tell me how does the world define mental health from world i mean uh, you know suppose for example the policy makers at this moment on mental health defining mental health in a line at the moment well i think to speak about india i think we've made huge strides in that uh, respect mm-hmm. have a very progressive mental health care act we do have a mental health policy mm-hmm. and i think the the paradigm is is trying to be is is shifting it's in the process of change um but of course i guess laws and policies have their own place but i guess the real gap is how do you translate a lot of those rights and principles to practice um so on a day to day basis if someone is going to seek mental health care or, hmm. or just trying to conceptualize what will work for them or trying to reach out to a friend when they're not feeling well hmm. so what are those elements and what should that look like is something that i guess we're still evolving hmm. we've done some work around it we know that you know we we know that it's effective we know it works um and now i guess the struggle is how do you scale it up and how do you make sure that when you know an intervention works how do you make sure that all communities have access to those evidence based interventions 
so i guess the the struggle is how do you convert and how do you make people advocates of change to change things around them and it doesn't have to be in a mental health care setting it could be any setting it could be you at your workspace it could be anyone who's working in a very traditionally non you know if you're not looking at mental health you're still responsible for it and i guess that's kind of really the takeaway that we're all responsible for bringing in this shift and bringing in the change in perspective mm-hmm. absolutely we're all responsible for bringing in the shift in perspective every day and every moment of our lives and perhaps in other lives as well perhaps you know getting into the corporate setting even the smaller setting the houses where perhaps there's a lot of mental health issue which we are not even aware about what do you think of that yeah absolutely i think when we say that we all have physical health and mental health that means it's just mm. around us and it's it's a part of us so it can happen you know issues around your mental health could be affected by how your family is and how your social environment is how your workspace is so all of these factors and if they don't systemically change to make them more oriented to pro mental health interventions then then obviously you'll have a gap somewhere or the other um so i guess that's why something like atmyata which is very which is trying to get at your everyday life and feeling better if you have just started facing distress or at a stage where it's a common mental health issue and then kind of working through it while while also looking at people do have severe mental health conditions and how do you create those referral pathways how do you enable that access to care and services which should be protecting your rights which should be protecting this idea of recovery that means you should not be stigmatized further and you should feel like you have agency over your life so i think that's the kind of thread that we probably need to move towards where we broaden this whole perspective of what is mental health and what does it mean in our different settings there's some interesting work that's coming up around mental health at workplaces mm-hmm. so guess like i mean there's this been some sort of awareness about acknowledging that maybe work practices also need to be making some accommodations ensuring that they have the right kind of policies that support people with different needs tell me something jasmine if somebody wants to volunteer for the peer support group do mm-hmm. do you think they can volunteer can they apply somewhere can they talk to someone what's the process right so currently we're at um at public mental health facilities um the latest intervention that we're we're trying to study as just a peer support intervention through upsides is based at hospital for mental health and the bad but the intervention runs across six different facilities if you are someone who's been seeking services from either one of those facilities if you are someone who's been through some lived experience mm-hmm. then yes you could technically reach out to those facilities but mm-hmm. that's for the peer support volunteers but i guess there've also been other initiatives where people are thinking of making peer support groups so i would encourage people to probably you know google it and see if there's a peer support in their city and how they could reach out to someone who's probably going through a similar experience and and build a support network mhm absolutely jasmine kala thank you so much for your time 
thank you for joining in thank you for so much of uh, uh, knowledge on peer support group uh, peer support intervention and we wish you all the luck with your work in the mental health space thank you so much sachita thank you for being accommodating so if you guys wish to be part of the peer support intervention group volunteer for it share your experience you can uh, write in to us you can dm us uh, on our ep log website it's in the description you can also connect to jasmine we'll also try and provide a link where you can connect to someone thank you for listening guys i'm your host suchita signing off and i'll see you guys next week with another episode of the sos show do not forget to rate us uh, on apple podcast you can listen to this podcast on any of the podcasting platforms which is apple google geo7 and all the important podcasting platforms see you guys next week